When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what he has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. Anytime I hear the word adoption, I always think about God's heart for the orphan, namely me or any of his children that have chosen him as their heavenly father. That transitioning from one family to another, not that you've lost your connection in your family of origin, our adoption into Christ's family is many things. But in this context, it's about moving into his heart. And that expands our ability to love everyone well. Because my experience is that when you tune into God's vision and value system for relationship, it helps you love your earthly family much better. So when I heard about my guest, Jennifer Yaren's unconventional adoption, I was up for the conversation so I could hear more about how she perceived God's heart for the orphan, especially since she wasn't looking to adopt, and the process of adoption was the fastest I've ever heard of, so that made for a very difficult transition for her, her husband, their children, and the newly introduced children as they folded them into the home and relationships. As I listened to her talk about why she didn't see the adoption as a rescue, it really got my mind churning as to how God does not simply rescue us, but that he has a much more intimate and satisfying purpose. Jennifer talked about the importance of educating oneself about trauma, but that understanding connection was the game changer. And she suggested the book that gave her that much needed breakthrough. It's titled The Connected Child, Bring Hope and Healing to Your Adoptive Family. And the author is Karen B as in boy Purvis. And Karen is spelled K-A-R-Y-N. B as in boy, her middle initial, and Purvis, P-U-R-V as in Victor, I-S. As we wrapped up the conversation, she shares one more thing that she's learned about God in the difficult transitioning process, and I could immediately apply it to my life. It seems the more conversations I have with those who share their stories of holding their trauma up for inspection through the lens of their relationship with Christ, it becomes increasingly clear. All the diversity, all the creativity, all the shades of skin that human beings embody, we all find unity in Christ. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on today and being willing to share in your struggle through adoption. Well, thanks for having me. You have unique situation. It may be not so unique. I don't know what percentages are for families or whatever, but you have infants or toddlers, toddlers, right? At this They're stage. toddlers now. Yep. And schoolers. then in college. Yes. Okay. So you have a family dynamic that is from one end of the spectrum to the other. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your family. My husband, Jim and I have been married a little over 25 years. We have five children. We have three biological kids. Emma is 20 and in college. Micah is 18 and in college. And they're both because of COVID homeschooling college, we call it because they're here doing it remotely. Okay. Sammy is our seventh grader. And then we have Wayne and Malaya and Malaya turns five in March and Wayne is five now. So we have three months every year where they're the same age and it blows his mind. He goes, (laughs) I'm older, but we're the same age. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Cause he's still at that age where it would be difficult. It matters. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Exactly. He wants to be the big guy. Yes. The big brother. (laughs) 
Well, that's cute. The way that your family came about too uh, is interesting. So tell me how you even got the opportunity to parent your two youngest. Well, I'll back up and say between uh, Micah and Sammy, we had a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Um, We we miscarried at 17 weeks and it's not you know, the norm, it's not unheard of. I was surprised how many people I connected with after that who had had similar experience. But what was so poignant to me with that was, I remember the visit before the doctor saying, well, now that you're in the second trimester, right. we don't have to worry about miscarriage anymore. And so it really caught me off guard. It was, yeah. it was a late miscarriage. So we had that miscarriage. We thought, this is it. We're content. We're done. Mm-hmm. And then Sammy was a surprise pregnancy and a very, very difficult pregnancy. Mm. And after her, we were told I was just too old and I had too many challenges. It was not safe or wise to ever have any more kids. So we were done. Right. With three. With three. (laughs) Until one day I was at our homeschool co-op and um, a friend tracked me down and I'm, I'm a connector. I, I am always connecting solutions to problems and people with resources. And she tracked me down and she said, Jen, you have a friend who's looking for a placement and an adoption, right? I said, I, I do. And she said, I just found out this morning about a little boy. And if he doesn't get a placement in the next week, he goes into foster care. And I had this holy chill run up and down my spine. And I knew we had just found this little boy family. And so I, I couldn't wait to get home. And I connected with my friend and for a whole variety of absolute legitimate reasons, she had to say no. Mm. And it, it really caught me off guard. And so when my husband was on his way home from work, how was work today? Or how was your day, honey? And I'm like, well, let me tell you. So I filled him in and then he floored me by going, well, what about us? what do you mean? What about us? So he flipped the tables. He flipped the tables and we had done nothing. We'd not really discussed adoption. We had never, I mean, there's a way you do this and we had not done it. Right. And so I called my friend, well, good news, bad news. And she called back and said, yeah, it's a private placement. So you guys could do it. So we said, well, we'll go until God closes the door. It is such a long shot. And we went to bed that night thinking we had a name and a picture. And we thought, could he be our son? And then we woke up the next morning, ready and raring to go with all the things we needed to do. And the first phone call was, how do you feel about three kids? I said, three kids. And she said, no, two kids. So I don't know why God let me mishear that other than to go, well, two is better than three. That was my response. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they said, there's a sister and they do not want to separate them. So I called my husband. He's like, it is such a long shot. We'll go until God closes the door. And two weeks later, they moved in. And six months later, the adoption was final. (laughs) So that is highly unconventional. (laughs) Yes. And super fast. Yes. How are you feeling when you get two little ones in the house? Oh, overwhelmed. Yes. We were so overwhelmed because we, we didn't know what we were in for. Now, on the one hand, I am, I am one who thinks things through. I like to be prepared. I like to know what's coming. Mm -hmm. And there's some, there's some pluses to that for sure. But I also don't flex very well when things don't meet my expectations. And so I think God Mm -hmm. knew I needed zero expectation going in so that I didn't have any disappointments or frustrations other than what was actually my day-to-day challenge. So going in somewhat naively, I didn't know what to expect. 
But yes, they came to us at eight months old and 17 months old. And the only way that they had to communicate with us was through their behavior. And right. they communicated loudly. Because <laughs> at this point, your youngest is how many years difference? She was seven. Seven. So clearly on her own, as yeah. far as needing bottles and diapers and food, trying to acclimate yourself to get familiar with these two new human beings yeah. in your life. Yes. What was your biggest challenge out of the gate? I think out of the gate, it was just sort of this overwhelm. I didn't know which end was up. So it was a Tuesday that we found out about them. It was two weeks later on a Tuesday that guardianship was signed over to us. Mm -hmm. And that was the day that it became real. So we had been advised, don't do anything. Don't, don't rearrange, don't buy anything until you have that signature. So then we said, okay, so now what? And they said, well, can you take them tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, which day? And it was like, uh, right. <laughs> so we had less, you know, we had 48 hours to prepare all day, Tuesday, Wednesday, all day, Thursday, mm -hmm. but life was happening. We had all the Wednesday night activities at church and my right. husband was on the elder board. So he had a meeting that Thursday night. And mm. so we didn't have anything that let us transition from a family of right. five to a family of seven. And we're so busy and just trying to figure out what to do. And I remember... I called a friend who had adopted about six months before me. She was the friend actually that had tracked me down. And I said, I am stress paralyzed. I am sitting here and I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And she said, sit tight. <laughs> and about 45 minutes, I'm going to cry. She and a friend showed up mm -hmm. and they had starter outfits for me. They had diapers mm -hmm. to get us going. They had formula and bottles and toys and right. organization bins. And they came in and they just sort of took over and got us ready. So when the kids came Friday, we had something to start with. And then our church followed suit. They, you know, they filled Amazon wish list. It was November and the mailman said, you'd think it was Christmas. He kept delivering 13, 14 packages a day wow. from Amazon. And I don't think we bought diapers for a year. It shifted from personal overwhelm to just an overwhelming outpouring of blessing all around. I think it's important that you expressed your need, even if it was in an intimate circle of trust or relationship. And then the, the ripple effect of God's hands and feet really got into action and poured out when they arrived. How are you feeling? These two little ones, sweet faces, yeah. I know. I know. Really sweet. We had an experience leading up to this where <laughs> we'd been told no more kids. We'd taken measures to make sure no more kids. And then I thought I was pregnant. And so it was quite the shock. It led us to have all sorts of conversations about, well, what would a baby do to our family dynamics? Right. Where would they sleep? We had all these conversations, mm. not realizing that these were necessary to prepare for what was to come. And I remember saying, if I could skip the pregnancy mm -hmm. and the newborn sleepless nights, I'd be really open to another child. And then we found out I was not pregnant, sigh of relief. And I think it was two days later, this all started. So <laughs> we, we got exactly what we said we were willing to have, which was a, an eight month old. We were past the newborn sleepless nights. We just didn't know what to expect. I mean, we knew we were doing what God was asking us to do. Mm -hmm. I had good counsel that it was not going to be easy, mm -hmm. but I never was prepared for how, um, how hard it was going to be. And not just hard, like I go to bed tired, but right. 
It was emotionally draining. It impacted our children in lots of ways. Mm -hmm. It, it cut us off from relationships temporarily while we focused on these two kids. It made us look at things in our own lives differently. It was hard. And I was not expecting that. Because you had to soothe their separation anxieties as well. Right. Right. And that burden fell on your family. Yeah. They had been disconnected from the people that they knew and loved. Mm -hmm. And now again, in God's grace, I mean, this is a whole story of redemption. We're still very much involved with the families who had been raising them before they came to join us. So we have grandparents and aunts and uncles, and we have all sorts of people not related by blood to them or us who Mm -hmm. are part of their story. Mm -hmm. And that has made it wonderful because we can have a conversation about, yeah, you used to live with grandma Nancy, and now you live with mommy. And we both love you. Mm-hmm. And it has given a lot of security. And I think it's helped with attachment quite a bit because there wasn't a disappearing of people. A few minutes ago, you mentioned about having this conversation with your husband. If I could avoid the pregnancy, which your doctors had told you, don't do that again. I'm up for another baby, but God gives double. Yep. And you end <laughs> up with the two little ones. Even in your mind, you're already flowing in that direction to have children added to your family. But wasn't there something else that God shared with you or something he? Yes. So in that year leading up to it, I had been overwhelmed for a long time. We had moved. I just added to my plate and I never took anything off my plate. I was really running on empty. I was kind of depleted. And for about the year before the babies joined us, I just kept hearing God say, get ready. And I knew I was supposed to be working on all these these projects, these things that had been sitting there, getting our bill paying automated, purging through the old school papers, getting the homeschool records up to date. Nothing, nothing major, but things that if they were done would mm-hmm. make life so much easier. Right. And I ignored it. I just went, I'll do it later. I'm too tired. And as soon as the babies happened, I went, oh. Why didn't I listen? I had a chance to really get ready differently, but I didn't pay attention. (laughs) I'm right there with you in that sense, as far as the Lord drawing you, trying to give you a heads up on something and you're putting it off in the back of your mind, letting everything else take your attention. And then you're like, that's what you were talking about, Lord. (laughs) So it happened again about a year and a half ago. I started hearing him say, get ready to move. And I didn't know if that was a literal move. I didn't know what it was, but I started purging and it turned out to be a literal move and I was ready. (laughs) That's when you're doing the thank you, Jesus dance. I listen. That's right. I got it right. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) When you are trying to work through the trauma that your children are experiencing and trying to fold them into the family, what are some of the steps that you took in order to educate yourself or resources, tools? Well, that was, that was all God's grace there too, because normally in a normal adoption, and I don't even know the right process, but normally you, you apply, you meet with people, you're going to classes, you're prepared, you do a home study, then you find out more about the child all these things. We were the exact opposite. We found out about the kids. We went to court. We had them in our home. We did a home study two weeks before it was finalized. And then about four months after everything was done, we ended up in a class on trauma. Trauma competent caregiving was what it was called. Mm -hmm. And we had had about four or five different people, some we knew, some we didn't, who said, you need to call up 
this woman named Hyacinth. She's got an amazing adoption support group. And by the time the fourth or fifth person says, mm-hmm. I need to call this woman, I don't know. <laughs> I decide, well, I'll give her a call. That was a intensive. That was a three-day class that we went into. And then from there on, it was like these monthly support group meetings. But mm-hmm. we learned so much in those three days. And I remember Lane one night, I, I think I slept 45 minutes the second night of this. I, I couldn't sleep. And I was like, what did we do? What did we do? Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much trauma from my childhood I had not dealt with that mm-hmm. was impacting me. And now I, I've got to take care of these two little ones and their trauma and help them. And right. I felt so inadequate mm-hmm. on the one hand, but on the other hand, I thought, I I have tools now. I can see past a symptom and to a cause. I can see, I can see what needs to change. And it's not just an outcome. It's a, it's a root behavior. And that changed everything because now our kids act like age appropriate children. I don't go through the filter anymore of, is this trauma? Is this age appropriate? I don't question where it's coming from the way I did two, Mm -hmm. three years ago when I was still learning, but that was invaluable. And we would never have known about that or to pursue that if God hadn't kept putting people in our path saying, call this woman. (laughs) What were your prayers for your children at that time? I, I didn't know how to pray for the whole situation because again, not knowing how an adoption works, Mm -hmm. we we're just sitting there doing what our lawyer is telling us comes next. And we don't know what's the real timeline. And so I didn't, I didn't know how to pray for the kids because they were, it felt in many ways, initially, it felt like a very long, exhausting, underpaid babysitting job. They didn't know us. They didn't respond well to us. Mm -hmm. And then my older kids, they were such great helps, but this, this was, this bore a toll on them because suddenly we were unavailable to them because we had to be the ones that responded to these two. So I remember rocking my son one night, rocking him to sleep and holding him and looking down and thinking, Lord, when am I going to love him like a son? it wasn't there to start with. So all these things about, I just knew, and it was an instant bonding. I didn't experience that. Mm-hmm. And then one night, I don't even know when a couple of weeks later, as I was rocking him and holding him and praying over him, it dawned on me. This is my son. I feel differently towards him now. Mm-hmm. It was a subtle, but it was a sweet little change. And there was a lot of opportunity to hold and rock and pray. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my prayers just were, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to pray. So just show us, show me what to do today. It was, it was not long-term. It was short-term right. praying. Sometimes they're the only ones you can get out, but they mean the yeah. most. So what do you think that subtle shift was? Do you think it's just time and investment Yeah. I think it was time. I think it was consistency. Mm. I think, I mean, we didn't know about trauma care and anything at this point. So at this point we were just doing what we thought was best. And it was one thing we had been told was make sure that either my husband or I are always the ones to hold and to be there. And Mm. 
if they're having a temper tantrum to be present, not to mm-hmm. you know, leave them alone. Mm-hmm. And if they fall to kind of over-exaggerate the rescue so they know mm-hmm. you'll come. That caused some issues for my older kids because you didn't come running to me like that. <laughs> well, right, you right. knew me from day one. So it was right. a little different, but I think it was I think it was that consistent faithfulness. And I think this is true in our walk with Jesus, right? If we're every day we show up and we're there and we're in relationship daily, mm-hmm. some days it's going to feel different than other days, but over time, it's just yeah. a constant deepening. Mm-hmm. It's not a moment that made, it's not a magic moment. It's just building it. It's, it's connection and continuity. A minute ago, you brought up an an interesting point when you said when you were dealing with your children and attending to your children, Mm -hmm. you began to realize that you had not addressed some dysfunction. And I'll use the word dysfunction because I can relate to that Mm -hmm. in your life. One of the things that I'm noticing talking to people is that anytime a shift, a major change in schedules or life trauma it brings in this question of identity and we're forced to deal with things that we had put in the back of our mind. So is that what you're saying? When this surfaced, now you're like, I have to address these things for myself. Yeah, there was some of that. Some of it was just, especially once we went through the the trauma competent caregiver was recognizing that situations that had happened in my life that I had just stoically taken mm-hmm. were actually traumatic and had left an impact on me in a way I hadn't realized. A lot of that came later, you know, almost a year into things. But um, in that short term, it was, you know, I think it was just recognizing that I didn't always use my time well. And had Mm -hmm. I used my time better, of course, there's always a lot of regret. Had I used my time better, I'd be better equipped for, for what we were facing. I think more of that came not in those early days of, of holding and, and connecting, but it came later. It came a year, year and a half into things as, as I began to learn more about what trauma was. So are you saying that the trauma training you received for the children that were folded into your family also helped you and your older children? Yes. 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 Because trauma is not necessarily because of something bad. But trauma is something that results from a dramatic or sudden change or or things like that that happen. So you can have a biological mom can have her biological child give birth and it's a 36 hour labor. Mm -hmm. That's a traumatic event, even though there was no separation from mom, anything like that. Good things came out. A baby was born or you look at, you know, our country recently, we just had an election being the child of somebody who now has just won a very high profile position Mm -hmm. can be a traumatic event in your life, even though it's a good thing, it Mm -hmm. changes everything, it changes everything you knew. And so learning about trauma was helpful, because like for our kids, I had had mentioned, they had a secondary trauma. Mm -hmm. The fact that nothing changed in their life, except we added siblings. Mm -hmm. There was no preparation for it. There was no nine month pregnancy. There was nothing to get them ready for it. And then just as quickly, mom and dad are not accessible to them. And so they had to fend for themselves. They had to figure some things out. And we weren't even aware always of what was going on. And so by understanding trauma, one of the things that you learn is that behavior is communicating something. And so instead of correcting the behavior, 
which often does need some, some work because you're not going to advocate hitting and those things. But before you try to correct that, mm. try to understand what's going on. And that was really helpful because I think our older kids would have been grounded more, punished more because we would have been addressing a behavior, but by being able to say, Hey, what's going on? Oh, we missed out on that. Didn't we, we weren't there. You didn't feel you could come talk to us. We were able to, to heal and end up in a better spot. That was true with the littles too. When they threw a temper tantrum and you know, there were times that it was really counterintuitive and our kids didn't appreciate it, but I'd say, you know, why don't we stop for ice cream? And they'd be like, he's having a temper tantrum and you're going to reward him. (laughs) I'm like, no, I'm going to change the dynamic now so that he can calm down so that we can figure out what's going on so that we can then talk about this. It it shifts the focus from, from the outcome to the root cause. So that also helped me understand in my own life, Mm -hmm. why do I have a hard time going deep in a friendship or why do I not always trust a certain you know, person in a certain role. Mm-hmm. And I could go, Oh, it's not them. It's not the lack of trust. It's this thing that happened when I was a kid that I had never connected to this outcome. And then by going back and dealing with that, it let me start to shift my, my perspective or my willingness to be more vulnerable in a friendship and things like that. There's a lot of power in going back, taking a look at certain areas or certain things and rewriting the script, if you will, through the lens of who God is and his value system. Yes. What were some of your prayers for yourself to the Lord when you're going through this? What were you crying out to the Lord to, to where did you want him to meet you and in what way? Well, one of the things that I I mentioned, we didn't know what the timeline was. And so in the state that we're in, there's a six month waiting period. And we thought those six months started when a certain action happened. Mm -hmm. And that action kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And so one of my cries to the Lord was, why, why is this taking so long? We just want the clock to start ticking. It was another late night rocking my son to sleep. And I just remember the Lord whispering mother's day in my ear. I was like, okay, mother's day is like in three months and this is a six month clock. So it made no sense. So the next day I was talking to the lawyer about some things. And I said, I just want the clock to start ticking. And she said, oh, that started the day they joined your family. So I got to the calendar and Mother's Day was six months after they joined us. That's awesome. So it was a lot of it was just crying out and learning to trust that he he's got it. He really does have it, even though we can't see it. He is in control. And there was other things along the way, all the whys. Why is doing the right thing so hard? (laughs) Why has this actually made things more financially difficult as opposed to get this idea. Well, if we do this, God will provide and he does, but it made things harder for a while. Mm -hmm. Lots of why questions because it, it didn't seem like it was fitting the results. The things that were happening felt opposite to what I was expecting, (laughs) even though I had no expectations, (laughs) what I was expecting would happen. So, you know, that was just a lot of, a lot of asking God, why I think we will always be in some phase of why when it comes to doing life with God, because even though 
you didn't have any expectations because you weren't quite sure what this process was supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. I know if God is working with me on something, I have my own expectations daily. So I think that's very genuine, very transparent that you would say that because it's it's very real to me. I struggle with the Lord based on my an- expectations mm-hmm. of what I think he's doing. But I think there's value in him not giving us the full picture. And yes. maybe there are some people that he does that with who have different personalities, but he's, he will not give me a full picture of things. So what do you think about that as far as him not giving us a full picture of what he's doing? Yes, because I think sometimes just today is overwhelming. And I don't know that I would do what he has for me today mm-hmm. <laughs> if I knew what it meant <laughs> for tomorrow and the next day. And so I think he gives us sometimes, like you said, a broad sense, or I will heal this, but it might not be a physical healing. It might be a spiritual healing. It might be healing by taking someone out of this earthly body. It might be a relational healing. It it might be something totally different than what we expect when we hear what we hear. I think he gives us glimpses and I think he lets us in sometimes on even seen back how pieces pulled together and he worked things together. But I think honestly, just each day is enough. (laughs) And so that we don't, we wouldn't be able to handle the whole thing. I love that you were just talking about how God speaks something to us and we come to that comment or that vision or that download of information that he gives us with a certain value system, but yet he means something totally different yet we will not be able to say he was lying or was not faithful because he will fulfill it exactly how he said it. But we see something different. One example would be, I was praying about the presidential election. Lord, what is it that your will is? And he, he impressed upon my heart. What are you worried about? And I was mm. like, I'm worried about not pursuing your heart. Granted, there's no perfect president. There's no perfect person. There's no perfect marriage, but right. I'm worried about not pursuing your heart. And he said, relax, we win. But did that mean that the person I thought should be in the White House was going to win? Or did that mean in the end, Sherry, we win? What are you worried about between Mm -hmm. here and the end? I got it. So two different things. So I just relaxed, sat back and said, Lord, have your way, do your thing. Any thoughts about that? I think there's a lot of truth there that, um, you know, what he does for one person is not what he will do for, for another. And so I think there's a real danger in saying, hey, I did this. God did that. So if you do this, Mm -hmm. God will do that. And it's just not, it's just not the way he works. He wants a more intimate relationship with us. He wants us to move from having faith to loving him. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm discovering here recently, as far as my maturing and and who Christ is. We talked about prayers for your children, prayers Mm -hmm. for yourself. What are some of the tools you were using to get through? Was it scripture, a particular one? Was it worship music? When things got tough, you've got your hands full with two little ones. Yeah. What were you finding as a resource? It was a lot of listening to Christian music at the time. I mean, I, I didn't have the time to sit down and have the quiet times I wanted because mm-hmm. it was triage a lot of days, just mm-hmm. what needs my attention. And it wasn't what needs my attention first. It was now I've got to choose between this crying child, this crying child, and this, this crisis with this child, you know, how am I going to handle it? So there wasn't room to breathe. There just wasn't space for some of those things. So it was, it was listening. It was just having Christian music on in the background was what got us through a lot of that. Cause we couldn't even go to church a lot of weeks and the weeks we did start to go to church with them, 
we had to stay in the nursery with them because we're trying to acclimate them and we're still their primary person. So we were not participating in life because mm -hmm. our life was now all built around these two and getting them engaged and acclimated to our family and their new normal. And is that something you expected that shift as far as outside family friends of not being able to stay connected with them as you had been? No, I was not prepared for that. I'd been, I mean, you're told you need to be their primary caregiver. Great. I'm the primary caregiver for my older kids, but it's very different when it's a new child that you're going to adopt because, you know, we did not want to be leaving them in the nursery with another worker because there's potentially another trauma or a um, setback to their attaching to us because we're just their Monday babysitter and this is their Sunday baby, you right. know? So it, it was, it was a lot more than I was expecting it to be a lot more 24 seven than any of our kids had ever been because we could, I mean, with my older kids, one of our parents, my mom or my mother-in-law would come and help us for a while. And we couldn't even do that. Mm -hmm. If, if we had had help, it would have been to help clean the house, wash the clothes, help mm -hmm. with the older kids. And, um, that's just, that's just not as attractive to come and do I, right. we had offers to help with that, but it, it wasn't, it just didn't work well. It was very, very different. I was not prepared for how all consuming it would be. Cause like when you're nursing a newborn, you can be on your phone or you, you can chat with somebody. There was none of that because as I'm feeding this child, they're fighting it or the other one's screaming. And right. so it, there was just no, there was no margin for it. So that trauma, that layer of trauma is definitely filtered into the the phase of folding them into your family that yes sounds like it takes 110 percent out of you yes and, yes and twins i mean they're only three what it they're nine months apart so yeah so basically twins and um and the baby was four months premature so they should be 13 months apart okay. so we had we had all that layer too we had therapies mm -hmm. coming into the house we you know we had all this extra yeah. stuff that we didn't we knew nothing when we said yes we knew nothing about medical conditions and we said yes blindly. When God didn't give you the full picture. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he walks it out with you. Yeah. What were your traumas at that time? What are you going through that's traumatic? I think the biggest thing, the biggest trauma for me in the midst of that was kind of the mama guilt when it came to my older kids. When I saw how hard it was, I felt like, mm -hmm. what, what have I done? And so while I absolutely 100% no, we did the right thing with regards to our littles. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't know if we did the right things with regards to the big kids. I do remember kind of being at a point of going, okay, well, we are obeying you, Lord, but this is miserable. And mm -hmm. I guess this is what the rest of our lives are going to look like. And one of the, the gracious things God did through that was my husband had been struggling with making good decisions for his health. And he had gotten to a point where he was morbidly obese. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten to a point of realizing I, I can cook the food, but I can't make them eat it. You know, I, I just, it was not my, it was not my battle to fight. Mm -hmm. And with these little ones, he sat there one night holding our daughter and he, it dawned on him that um, if he didn't make a change, he would not be alive to mm -hmm. see her graduate from high school. Right. And it, it, 
motivated him to some major changes and he lost, you know, well over a hundred pounds and became healthy. And so there was, there was joy again, there was life back in our family and, you know, and God used these babies as a catalyst to some change that wouldn't have come about otherwise. I don't think. What else do you think was magnified or what else do you think they brought into the family, even as difficult as it was as challenging and overcoming trauma, what else have they brought into the family? Lots of joys. Their older siblings adore them. They love these kids. They are well-loved on all fronts. (laughs) But one of the things that it really brought into our family was a greater understanding of who God is and what adoption really means. Because adoption is, is very commonly portrayed as a rescue story. And it's not, it's a redemption story. Mm. Our kids weren't rescued from anything. They were placed with us out of love and out of necessity. Mm. And at the end of the day, they still are not with their biological parents. And that is a tragedy. Mm. Thankfully, we have a great relationship with them. And so they talk about having two moms and two dads mm-hmm. and we have that. So we, we have a lot more family than I ever would have imagined. I have a note every pops up every now and then send pictures to the grandmas. Well, I'm talking five ladies now because right. <laughs> we've got right. my mom, my husband's mom, we've got bio grandmas, mom and dad's side. And then we've got the adopted grandma that was part of the story. Mm-hmm. It's a big family that we have now. But it also gave me a different perspective on being adopted into God's family because my older kids, they have one family. It's us where my younger kids have their bio family and they have their adopted family. And that's really more when we're adopted into God's family, we have our earthly family and our earthly father. And now we have a heavenly father. And so we have two fathers. We are no less a child of either of them. I mean, my kids, all five of them are 100% our children. They have the same standing in our family legally and the way we love them and all of those things. But our younger two kids have another family and there is, there's more there. And that is really what I think it's like being adopted into, you know, God's family is it's not a replacing of anything. It is a we get to live as a full son of God, you know, God's child and a child of our family here. It just really made me realize that God never abandoned us. Our pam- our families here never abandoned us, but it's about seeking after our heart. It's about searching out and redemption. There's so many abandoned hearts walking around today. Yes. <laughs> There really are believers, non-believers walking and living and believing, believing they're abandoned, but they're not, they're being sought. (laughs) What are some of your thoughts about God's heart for the, uh, the orphaned heart? I'm realizing more and more that he is seeking us. He is seeking relationship. And we so often take the verse out of context. God works all things for good for those who love him. And we hear it and we think, well, I love him and this wasn't good. And I think it just simply means that there's redemption when Jesus is involved. I grew up in a home. I had both my parents, but my dad came from a broken family and I didn't know my grandfather. I just knew he existed somewhere and I longed to find him. When I was in college, we found him and we got to go up and visit him. And 
he lived in Alaska. And when I was a kid, I had a collage of pictures on the back of my door of Alaska. I thought I'd love to live there someday. There was all these things I could see where I had this longing to know my grandfather and, and these pieces had been put into place. And then I met him. God used that. He redeemed that. He used that for good when it came time for the adoption, because I never wanted my kids to long for and wonder who their family was. And so we, we have built these relationships. There's a little example of that was not a good situation to not you know, have my dad grew up without a dad. It wasn't good, but God mm. redeemed it and he used it for good so that I have a different heart and a different perspective on these things now. I think that's really what I see is that God is, he's not vengeful. He's not going to force us to do anything, but he is, he is longing for us to be in relationship with us. And he He's actively involved as, as our heavenly father, he is actively involved in our day to day. And the more we let him in, the more he will do in our lives. I know people think that living the good life with God is when we draw our last breath, but we can have so much here. Yes. There's so much to experience about him here. And it's personal. I mean, that's the other part. It's not this group of people. I mean, it's, it's me, it's a relationship with me. And that just is amazing when you think about the God of the universe. <laughs> yeah. Knows me. Let me ask you, Jennifer, is there anything that you'd want to share with a family right now who is going to adopt children who have trauma in their background? Yes. I, well, I'd say anybody who is adopting, whether you're adopting a newborn or not, there is trauma because mm -hmm. you attach to your mother while you're in the womb. Right. And so that separation is a trauma. So don't, don't dismiss it. Don't downplay it. Well, I've had them since I was an infant. Realize that that is still a traumatic thing. That is the biggest thing I can say is learn about trauma. And more than just learning about trauma, learn about um, connection because that, that is a game changer. There's a, a woman, she's passed away now, but her name is Karen Purvis. And she's done so much work on this. She has so many great books about connected parenting. There's one specifically, I want to say it's called The Connected Child, that is about adopting children and, and learning trauma and connection with them. But I mean, bottom line, that was, that was a game changer. That was the biggest and best thing that we ever could have learned about was trauma and connection. And, you know, God is the God of relationship. Yes. And I do believe that whenever something happens to us, we might not process it right then, but it will wait for you to process it. Trauma, grief, it will wait for you to address it. So the fact that you would engage these children in processing it at such a young age, yeah. and you've been successful at that, you've seen a reward in their lives, in the way that they did come to know your family and expand their family. That's a beautiful gift. Mm. So there is hope in moving yes. from trauma into wholeness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like you said, I mean, it's, it's spiral. We'll always address things. We'll address them at different layers, different levels, but, but we have the foundation and mm. we've done the hard work. So, you know, a temper tantrum now is Sometimes it's a three minute episode as opposed to a three hour episode right. because we've put in the work. Is there anything that you want to add to the conversation that I haven't asked about that would be valuable or just something that you want to share from your heart? 
Yeah. One thing that I don't even think I told you this before, but while all of this was going on, I was on the leadership team for a food pantry that was filing to become a 501c3. Mm-hmm. And there were so many parallels between that story and how God provided and our adoption story. And it seemed like the food pantry was just one step ahead of us in things. And so, you know, when the 501c3 came through with the signature, we believe then things are going to be okay with the adoption. And about three weeks later, the next key thing was done. And we just saw these parallels. And so to see that God cared, not only for like this big ministry that was doing work mm-hmm. in lots of lives, but our life too. I mean, it was, it was really quite a thing to walk through and, and, and see both of these experiences happening at the same time. When I think about what you were uh, recognizing happening and going on in your life. I wonder if that's something that God does in other circumstances. There's just little bits of encouragement along the way that we either miss, but yet they're there for us. Yeah. I wonder if that's something, can you speak to that? Have you heard that particular gift of? No, I mean, not in that specific way. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard of, and I often do stop and look back and see, okay, where is the blessing in this? Where is the good in it? But I had never really experienced anything quite like this, where it was, this happened here and then it happened here, this Mm -hmm. happened and then it happened. It was, it was uncanny how parallel it was. So when you think about the darker parts of this transformation and this struggle of blending in this family and all the moving parts and all the obstacles that you had to overcome, what is something beautiful that God spoke to you during that time? I think it was, it was seeing and knowing that he is in the business of changing hearts and lives, that he changed my heart. He taught me to love children that I didn't birth through very challenging times. He changes hearts to respond to him and he really is in control and he can change, he can change things and bring beauty from, from the broken. That's his fingerprints all over it. Yes. Redemption. Yep. Thank you, sweet friend. I appreciate your time today. Yes. Thank you for having me. You take care. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.